Section 34 of the Algonquin Legends of New England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary in Arkansas. The Algonquin Legends of New England, or Myths and Folklore of the Micmac, Passamaquoddy, and Penobscot Tribes, by Charles Godfrey Leland. Section 34. The Invisible One. Micmac legend. There was once a large Indian village situated on the border of a lake, Namaskit Odun Kuspenku, Micmac. At the end of the place was a lodge, in which dwelt a being who was always invisible. Footnote. In this Micmac tale, which is manifestly corrupted in many ways, the hero is said to be a youth whose teomol, or tutelary animal, was the moose, whence he took his name. In the Passamaquoddy version, nothing is said about a moose. A detailed account of the difficulty attending the proper analysis of this tradition will be found at the end of this chapter. End footnote. He had a sister who attended to his wants, and it was known that any girl who could see him might marry him. Therefore there were indeed few who did not make the trial, but it was long ere one succeeded. And it passed in this wise. Towards evening, when the invisible one was supposed to be returning home, his sister would walk with any girls who came down to the shore of the lake. She indeed could see her brother, since to her he was always visible, and beholding him she would say to her companions, Do you see my brother? And then they would mostly answer, Yes, though some said, Nay, altelovejik, a altikukijik. And then the sister would say, Kugawa wisko buksich? Of what is his shoulder strap made? But as some tell the tale, she would inquire other things, such as, What is his moose runner's haul? Or, With what does he draw his sled? And they would reply, A strip of rawhide, or a green wythe, or something of the kind. And then she, knowing they had not told the truth, would reply quietly, Very well, let us return to the wigwam and when they entered the place she would bid them not to take a certain seat, for it was his, and after they had helped to cook the supper, they would wait with great curiosity to see him eat. Truly he gave proof that he was a real person, for as he took off his moccasins they became visible, and his sisters hung them up. But beyond this they beheld nothing, not even when they remained all night, as many did. There dwelt in the village an old man, a widower, with three daughters. The youngest of these was very small, weak, and often ill, which did not prevent her sisters, especially the eldest, treating her with great cruelty. The second daughter was kinder, and sometimes took the part of the poor abused little girl, but the other would burn her hands and face with hot coals. Yes, her whole body was scarred with the marks made by torture, so that people called her Uchiga Asku, the rough-faced girl. And when her father, coming home, asked what it meant that the child was so disfigured, her sister would promptly say that it was the fault of the girl herself, for that, having been forbidden to go near the fire, she had disobeyed and fallen in. Now it came to pass that it entered the heads of the two elder sisters of this poor girl that they would go and try their fortune at seeing the invisible one. So they clad themselves in their finest, and strove to look their fairest, 
and finding his sister at home, went with her to take the wonted walk down to the water. Then when he came, being asked if they saw him, they said certainly, and also replied to the question of the shoulder-strap or sled-cord, a piece of rawhide, in saying which they lied, like the rest, for they had seen nothing, and got nothing for their pains. When their father returned home the next evening, he brought with him many of the pretty little shells from which Waiopki school, or wampum, was made, and they were soon engaged, Dapajuk, in stringing them. Footnote. In Passamaquoddy, wampum is called loabop. It is said that a single bead required a full day's work to make and finish it. It is not many years since it was made much more expeditiously in certain New England villages. End footnote. That day poor little Uchi Gaosku, the burnt-faced girl, who had always run barefoot, got a pair of her father's old moccasins, and put them into water that they might become flexible to wear. And begging her sisters for a few wampum shells, the eldest did but call her a lying little pest, but the other gave her a few. And having no clothes beyond a few paltry rags, the poor creature went forth and got herself from the woods a few sheets of birch bark, of which she made a dress, putting some figures on the bark. Footnote. Probably by scraping. Birch bark, masque, peeled in water, can have the thin dark brown coat scraped away, leaving a very light yellowish-brown ground. Toma Josephs and his niece Susan of Princeton, Maine, are experts at this work. End footnote. And this dress she shaped like those worn of old. Footnote. This remark indicates the lateness of the Micmac version of this very old myth. End footnote. So she made a petticoat and a loose gown, cap, leggings, and handkerchief, and having put on her father's great old moccasins, which came nearly up to her knees, she went forth to try her luck. For even this little thing would see the invisible one in the great wigwam at the end of the village. Truly her luck had a most inauspicious beginning, for there was one long storm of ridicule and hisses, yells and hoots, from her own door to that which she went to seek. Her sisters tried to shame her and bade her stay at home, but she would not obey, and all the idlers, seeing this strange little creature in her odd array, cried, Shame! But she went on, for she was greatly resolved. It may be that some spirit had inspired her. Now this poor little wretch, in her mad attire, with her hair singed off, and her little face as full of burns and scars as there are holes in a sieve, was, for all this, most kindly received by the sister of the Invisible One. For this noble girl knew more than the mere outside of things, as the world knows them. And as the brown of the evening sky became black, she took her down to the lake. And ere long the girls knew that he had come. Then the sister said, Do you see him? And the other replied with awe, Truly I do, and he is wonderful. And what is his sled-string? It is, she replied, the rainbow. And great fear was on her. But my sister, said the other, what is his bowstring? His bowstring is Kitak's Uwacht, the spirit road, the Milky Way. Footnote. The spirits, or ghost road, so called because it is believed to be the highway by which spirits pass to and from the earth. The Micmac version, belittled and reduced in every way, 
limits this reply to a piece of a rainbow. There is a grandeur of conception in the Passamaquoddy myth which calls the most stupendous similes in scripture. End footnote. Thou hast seen him, said the sister, and taking the girl home, she bathed her, and as she washed, all the scars disappeared from face and body. Her hair grew again. It was very long and like a blackbird's wing. Her eyes were like stars. In all the world was no such beauty. Then from her treasures she gave her a wedding garment, and adorned her. Under the comb, as she combed her, her hair grew. It was a great marvel to behold. Then having done this, she bade her take the wife's seat in the wigwam, that by which her brother sat, the seat next the door. And when he entered, terrible and beautiful, she smiled and said, Wajulkus, so we are found out. Aladjula, yes, was her reply. So she became his wife. Footnote. This is the true end of this Indian Cupid and Psyche legend. But the Micmacs, having, for no apparent reason, made the stupendous deity of the heavens a moose, have added to it another for the sake of the name, in which I give in due succession, simply as an illustration of the manner in which tales are tacked together. I have very little doubt that the story as here given is an old solar myth, worked up, perhaps, with the story of Cinderella, derived from a Canadian-French source. There are enough of these French-Indian stories in my possession alone to form what would make one of the most interesting volumes of the series of the Contes Popularis. The Passamaquoddy version is to this effect. There was a great being, a mighty hunter, who had a wife of wonderful magic gifts, and a boy, and the child became blind. After a long time his sight returned, and he said so. But his mother was suspicious and did not believe him. It is evident that she suspected that he saw by clairvoyance, not by literal vision. So one day she bade her husband put on certain things, which no one could behold who did not see them in truth. Then she asked the boy, What has your father for a sled-string? Literally, for a moose-runner hall. And he replied, The rainbow to haul by. Then she asked him yet again, What has he for a bowstring? And he answered, Tikatsuwacht, the spirits or ghost road. And once more she inquired, What has he on his sled? To which he said, A beaver. Then she knew that he could indeed see. T. Joseph's. We can perceive by shreds and patches such as these the all but loss of an early and grand mythology which has undergone the usual transmutation into romantic and nursery legends. By great exertion we might recover it, but the old Indians who retain its fragments are passing away rapidly, and no subject attracts so little interest among our literati. A few hundred dollars expended annually in each state would result in the collection of all that is extant of this folklore, and a hundred years hence some few will, perhaps, regret that it was not done. It may be observed that in the Edda the rainbow is the heavenly road over which the gods pass. The rainbow is not the Milky Way, but it may be observed that in this tale the two are curiously compared, or almost identified. But according to Charles Francis Keary, Mythology of the Eddas, London, 1882, there is small hint in the Edda of the use of the rainbow as a path for souls, save where Helgi says to his wife, 
tis time for me to ride the ready road and on my horse to tread the path of flight which is more applicable to the milky way than the rainbow we owe he says to the learned adalbert kuhn some researches which have traced the path of the milky way as a bridge of souls from its first appearance in eastern creeds to its later appearance in medieval german tradition in the vedas the milky way is called the god's path the american indians firmly believe that the spirit's road is one of their very earliest traditions and i believe with them that they had it long before columbus discovered this country since the foregoing remarks were written mrs w wallace brown has obtained the following fragment which was given as a song and declared to be very ancient there was a woman long long ago she came out of a hole in it dead people were buried she made her house in a tree she was dressed in leaves all long ago when she walked among the dry leaves her feet were so covered the feet were invisible she walked through the woods singing all the time i want company i'm lonesome a wild man heard her from afar over the lakes and mountains he came to her she saw him she was afraid she tried to flee away for he was covered with the rainbow she ran and he pursued rapidly he chased her to the foot of a mountain he spoke in a strange language she could not understand him at first he would make her tell her where she dwelt they married they had two children one of them was a boy he was blind from his birth but he frightened his mother by his sight he could tell her what was coming what was coming from afar what was near he could not see he could see the bear and the moose far away beyond the mountains he could see through everything the old woman ended this story by saying abruptly don't know any more guess they all eat up by mooin the bear she said it was only a fragment if you could have heard her repeat this adds mrs brown in pieces stopping to explain what the characters said and describing how they looked and anon singing it again you would have got the inner sense of a wonderfully weird tale the woman's feet covering and the man's dress like a rainbow yet not one which made their bodies invisible seemed to exercise her imagination strangely and these were to her the most important part of the story the fragment is part of a very old myth i regret to say a very obscure one end of footnote and end of section thirty four